Welcome to episode 205 of the first 40 miles. If you're new to backpacking or if you're hopelessly in love with someone who wants you to love backpacking, then this podcast is for you. We'll talk about the essentials, how to lighten your load, and how to make the most of your time on the trail. I'm your host, Heather Legler. And I'm Josh Legler. And this is the first 40 miles. Today on the first 40 miles, we're checking in with our friend Steve, who completed a through-hike of the Oregon section of the Pacific Crest Trail this summer. We'll get his post-trail thoughts and musings, and we'll throw in a backpack hack and some trail wisdom, just for funsies. All this, and that's about it. Today on the first 40 miles. So thanks, Steve, for joining us. Glad to. Give us a brief overview of the hike, the miles, your destination. I decided I wanted to hike the Oregon portion of the Pacific Crest Trail. The section I hiked was 430 miles. It took me 36 days and 35 nights. Uh, We went from just southeast of Ashland to Cascade Locks, Oregon. And this is something that you decided to do for your 70th birthday. What led you to that decision? I take a group of friends backpacking uh, every year for about a week. We go to different sections, different parts of the state. And I decided that after I turned 69 that I want to do something epic for my 70th. And so I was looking around, thinking and pondering. And I came across a backpacking magazine that talked about long-distance hikes. And so I thought, oh, okay, I can do Oregon. I investigated it. And then I went to my backpacking friends and said, hey, I've got a really stupid idea. Do you want to join me? Yes, they did. And so that put it together. I wanted to do something epic, something big, and I did. Did you get a lot of um, opinions, feedback, kickback from any of your friends or family saying this Absolutely not. Everybody was very positive. Everybody said, go for it. Uh, I did check with my wife before I made any major commitments, and she said, if that's what you want to do, go for it. And why not just a little week trip to celebrate your 70th birthday? Why something so blisteringly epic. (laughs) Anybody can do a week. I decided I wanted to do more. That's amazing that everyone was supportive of the idea. It seems like there would be someone out there who would say, yeah, no, what if you have a heart attack and you're 10 miles from the nearest trailhead or, you know, all these things that people might think of. I look at that and I talk to people about that and there might have been just a little bit of, you know, uh, the biggest question was, are you hiking alone? No. After they found out I was not hiking alone, there was, there was not any issues. And did you begin this whole process by meeting with your primary care physician, kind of doing those basics, or were you just like, hey, I'm in good health, I'm going to go for it? You got it. <laughs> <laughs> I did not check in with my doctor before I went. I did not do anything like that. I did some training. If I were to do training again, I would do more upper body strength and, and squats and not so much core. Um, simply because I use my legs a lot and I used hiking poles and they saved me from falling quite a number of times. Well, tell us a little bit about your daily routine while hiking the Oregon section of the Pacific Crest Trail. Well, I tried to be on the trail every morning by 8.30. That means I have to get up 6.30 simply because my hiking companions were getting up about that time and I'm a faster packer, I'm a faster eater than they are. So I get up First thing I do is get my breakfast going. Then while the breakfast is cooking, I can start packing up gear, pack up the tent, and check everything out. And then sit back and just relax and eat. 
and then finished packing up. And it takes me, no matter how fast I try, it takes me about a half hour to get all the gear together back in and comfortable and make sure that the pack is balanced so that I'm not leaning to one side or the other. So you hit the trail every morning around 8.30, got into camp, you know, 2.30 on a nice day, but usually sometime before sunset. Right. And covered, on average, how many miles? Average, uh, I build it as 36-day hikes, averaging 12 and a half miles. Okay. Uh, I, there were some days when I did just five miles, and there were some days where we did 15 and 17. The longest day was a 19-mile hike, and that's because my hiking companion and I passed the lake we were supposed to stay at. Kept looking for it, couldn't find it. So we hiked an extra six miles, the last hour and a half in the dark, oh. using headlamps. And a spot where I camped that night was just the length of my sleeping bag and sleeping pad. And there were three tree roots in all the wrong places. <laughs> and, uh, but again, I don't complain about that. It's all part of the experience. Yeah. And what was the rhythm like as you were hiking each day? I hike faster in the morning than I do in the afternoon. I hike faster on a level and slightly downhill. Uphill, I'm slow. My body will go so far and then say, and it will, it'll just stop. I don't think about it. It just stops. <laughs> I take a, I take a 30, 45 second break. My heart rate comes back down. My breathing slows down. I take off again and go. I don't eat lunch on the trail. I usually eat a snack. I mean, energy bar, take a short break, energy bar and water, and then just keep on hiking because I know that I'm going to eat well in the evening. And the evening is basically, after I get to camp, uh, I, first thing I do is set up my sleeping area. And then, depending what time it is, I get my food going. Other than that, I pull out my book more and read for a while. Uh, no matter how nasty the day is, and there were some nasty days where it was really hot and smoky, you get into camp, sit around, and just talk with the people. That makes it all worthwhile. Mm -hmm. How long did it take you to find that rhythm of the trail, to kind of figure out what you were going to be doing each day? I knew the distances and hikes I was going to do well before I went on the hike. But it took me probably three or four days to get into something where I felt comfortable getting up and doing that. The biggest issue was waiting for my hiking companions to get ready. Again, it wasn't a big thing. I wanted to be into camp by 2.30, 3 o'clock every day at the latest. That gives me time to sit back, relax, and look at the view, do whatever I want to do. That didn't always happen, but that was okay because I've got another six hours of daylight in case something does happen. You talked about sitting back and relaxing. Tell us a little bit about your evenings and your relaxation time. I carried with me the most precious item, <laughs> and that was a Helinox Zero chair. It weighs one pound. Uh, easily sets up, easily folds out, and you sit back in that and relax and stretch your feet out. I'm not sitting on the ground, I'm not sitting on a log, I'm not sitting on rocks. It's all you know, basically very comfortable. I was teased a little bit because sometimes at the end of the day I'm tired and so I would go to bed. I've gone to bed as early as a quarter to six on the trail and woke up a couple times during the night, wake up 6.30 in the morning and I'm fine. Um, somebody I know took a picture of me after I'd gone to bed <laughs> and used it on their 40-mile podcast. <laughs> that was the episode image where someone pointed out to us that it looked like you were floating um, because oh. the ground was a little bit darker next to you. And so if you look at it just right, it looks like a shadow and, and you're levitating while you're sleeping. So that's pretty cool. That's a nice, comfortable way to sleep. And that picture's, that picture's in the book I did. 
So tell us a little bit about the book that you put together after the hike. After I after major hikes, major events, I do books. I use Walmart.com. It's easy to put pictures in, and so I put pictures of my hiking companions, places we camp, the best and worst campsites, scenic pictures, textures of the trail, nature's art. Now, before you left on the trip, there was some concern about wildfires, but you didn't seem that concerned. You seemed like you were pretty certain that things were just going to work out. Do you feel like things really did just work out for you? Everything worked trip? out for me. The, the only issues I had on the trail was water where there was not, where there was supposed to be and there wasn't. Um, I just told everybody, what about the wildfires? Oh, they're going to be on the other side of the state. And they were. <laughs> yeah, I remember we had one night where smoke blew in really quickly mm -hmm. and we all stood up and watched it blow in and then nothing happened. Like, just kind of dissipated. So you mentioned water was one of your issues. In the first week, we got to a place where there's supposed to be water, and there wasn't. So we looked at the map, and we start walking down off the trail towards a, a group camp. And there's signs that say there's water a couple miles down the road. Well, we're not real enthused about that. So we start looking around, and in this group camp, there's spigots. So we just went down there and, and loaded up the water and then came back up. Uh, the second week, we were hiking and we got to North Crater Wayside, uh, and there was supposed to be a water cache there, and there was not. I spent an hour looking all over for this water cache. Couldn't find it, so I said a prayer. And I went back up and I was talking with my hiking companion, and a car drove in. So I went down to them and I said, Hey, do you guys know anything about a water cache? Do you need water? Well, yeah, we could use some water. And I had told them about when we crossed the road, there was, looked like a water cache, but not your typical water cache. There were just five or six empty gallons, milk jugs, that were empty. And they said, oh, okay. So they took our water containers and said, they'll be back in a while. What they did was they took our water containers, and they also took the gallon jugs. A half hour later, they come back with ice-cold water for us. Oh. So they got five gallons of ice-cold water plus our containers. So we had plenty of water for that night. When we got up in the morning, I back out to the PCT and up the road, half mile uh, up the trail, half mile up the trail, there's the water cache. Um, and uh, the trail angel there with them and some other hikers that were there. We just hadn't gone far enough, but we were told, we either misunderstood or were told wrong where the water cache was. But again, the trail angel was there for us. So we happened to hike with you on a really dry week but the last week, it dumped. It dumped on us, and we assume it dumped on you. Did you guys get what we got? Yeah, back at home here, we we would look out the window and go, oh, oh and oh, think of Steve. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, we got we put on our rain gear because it was coming down gently. It was just gentle rain coming down, and we knew that if we didn't put on rain gear, we would be soaked. But. Other than that, uh, there was not any real heavy rain, not at all. That's incredible. We got dumped on here. Yeah. It sounds like prayer played a pretty significant role in your experience on the hike. Absolutely. We started out every day, finish every evening with a, with a group prayer. I'm a very religious person, and so I want Heavenly Father to know where I am. And he knows who I am, and so he was able to answer many of my prayers. In fact, he answered all of my prayers, some very immediately, uh, some a little longer. But uh, when I had issues, 
I prayed and got answers and solutions. It's one of the 10 essentials. Did you see any other 70-year-old hikers on the trail? Well, there's not an age printed on their forehead. Well, you can kind <laughs> so, of so, tell so, sometimes. <laughs> well, because there are so many young hikers on the trail that when you see someone who is matured a little bit. <laughs> there, were, there were some hikers out there that were probably my age or better or, or close to it. Whether or not they were doing the through hikes, I don't know because we didn't talk. But there were a, a few out there. There was Elena, who is 76 years old from Sweden. She is solo hiking it, and when she finishes it, well, she has finished it by now, uh, she'll be the oldest female to solo hike the entire trail. Wow. So now that you've been home for a few weeks, what has the physical recovery process been like? How did you come home feeling, and how are you doing now? The biggest adjustment for me when I came home was the noise. I'm out, used to being out in the forest. It's quiet out there. Uh, there were not a lot of animal noises in the trail because lots of times we were hiking through burned areas, and so there's, there's no sound there. So I came home, and the cars driving by or people talking, a lot of people talking at once, uh, airplanes. But the whole thing was, just, it was very, it, it made me apprehensive. Kind of jumpy. Yeah, but for, for about... Uh, one or two days. I really enjoyed eating real food. Uh, the dehydrated meals were great, but I don't know how far you want me to go with this. <laughs> but they, they don't, We've all been there. We don't. Well, they don't, they don't produce a lot of waste. And so I come home and all of a sudden I'm eating food and all of a sudden I'm having to use the restroom more often because the, the bulk is there. But uh, I did tell my wife that I wanted to eat this for I was going to eat this at uh, Bridgeside in Cascade Locks, and for breakfast I wanted this, and for dinner I wanted that, and I was okay. She says, well, you're awful bossy. Yes, I am. This is what I want. <laughs> <laughs> the, a backpacking hike, I use Bright Socks, W-R-I-G-H-T, that are, have the liners sewn into them. They're a, they're a nice, tight fit. I only got one blister, and that was on the side, and that was due to the shoe, not to the hiking. I had one hiking companion that had the biggest blisters I've ever seen in my life. And Tom had the most blisters. But I didn't have any blisters, so I'm, I'm a solid believer in good socks. Yeah, there are sock liners and there's powder and stuff like that. I didn't have to worry about that. And these socks you can wear for three or four days before they start to smell. The section that we hiked with you is approximately in the, well, exactly in the middle of your hike. You reached the halfway point in terms of time and miles when we were with you. And then you had a couple weeks after that. And uh, what we saw when we were with you was you were amazingly strong. You beat us to camp every night. That's because I left before you guys did. <laughs> but not by much, maybe a half hour <laughs> yeah, before maybe. us, you know, while we were still getting the boys on the trail. And then once the boys finally took off, you know, they'd zip along. Right. Um, but we were just amazed by the strength that you had gained over those first couple of weeks um, by the time that we met up with you. When you got home, we saw you walking with a bit of a limp. That is true. Was that um, just for show? Were you just faking it? Yeah, I, want, I wanted sympathy. <laughs> Two miles prior to Olali Lake, my left knee started really hurting. And I was extremely concerned was not whether or not I'd be able to finish the hike. And so I prayed for a miracle. Uh, and the miracle I got was not the one I asked for. The pain was on the left, the right side of my left knee, and after I prayed, the pain moved to the center of my <laughs> knee, which allowed the knee, the, the foot, to bend like this. Because before that last two miles, I was having to put foot down, just flat-footed, and it made for slow hiking, it made for hurt hiking. 
and so the pain moved over there. In addition to that, what we've been hiking was pretty much 75% rocky trails, landslides, just rock, everything. It was doable, but not comfortable. From Olali Lake to Cascade Locks, probably 95% of the trail was two-foot-wide dirt trails, very pleasant, very easy to do, very easy to walk on. So when I got home, got home on Friday night, Saturday morning I got up and the pain was back over on the right side. So what I got was a miracle, and I call it a limited time miracle, <laughs> because it was, it was what I needed. I did go to the doctor the following Wednesday, and he gave, I told him I needed a cortisone shot in the knee. He said, well, you know we have arthritis in the knee. Yes, I do. And uh, he said, so what did you do to aggravate your knee? And I told him I just hiked 430 miles. And he said, well, that's not the brightest thing you've ever done. <laughs> there are parts of the trail I never want to see again. <laughs> and there are parts of the trail that are just absolutely beautiful. Uh, I'm sure there were probably some views in the first two weeks that were very pretty, but because of the smoke, you know, you, you can't tell. Jefferson Park area was absolutely gorgeous. Benson Plateau between Mount Hood and Cascade Locks is marvelous. It's, it's, a, it's a great place. Water Lake is nice, but then Benson Plateau, where we camped the last night, is a very pleasant place. Well, I know on the last day of our hike with you, we asked you for advice to others who wanted to do a significant hike, and you said, don't do it. <laughs> but now that you've had some time to reflect, what advice would you give to others who are older who want to do a significant hike? I would suggest that uh, they get a, a decent training routine going, do a lot of walking with a pack, look at the trail that you want to do, look at the ups and downs, look at the texture, uh, look at pictures, Google the trail. I Googled the trail, the whole trail. I would, I would suggest that they find someone to hike with. I did not have any way of contacting the outside world except for the friends who I hiked with and their phones and stuff like that. I would suggest that they have a GPS monitor or Garmin or something that they can send out. And have confidence in yourself. A lot of people don't do things because they're old. I'm doing things because I am old. My suggestion is to plan it and research it and whatever hike it is you want to do. If I knew that I was going to have the same experiences and same spiritual experiences and the same hiking or similar hiking campaigns, I'd do it again in a flash. We'd do it with you again in a flash. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> Except we'd have to do some serious training before we go out again with this guy. You out-hiked us. <laughs> no, I, again, I just started before somebody, and I move, I move at a pace that's comfortable for me. Um, if you guys had hiked with me, you would have been right there with me. And you would have passed me going up the hills. But, again, that's the way life is. I mean, we, we all hike and do things in different paces. We all start out together and we end up together. Yeah. And that's oh, what counts. Yeah. Yep. Usually this is the part on the show where we do the backpack hack of the week. Is there something, some little trick that you picked up from another hiker or something that you learned while you were on the trail that you would consider a hack? One thing is... Probably 90% of the thru-hikers are carrying the large smart water bottles because they're basically indestructible. And they put the Sawyer straw on the end of it. And so they just scoop up the water and they just drink straight from that. I used the Sawyer squeeze bag. I sent my pump home because I didn't need to carry it because I had the squeeze bag. 
One lady showed us her bottles. She'd done the whole Appalachian Trail with them, and she'd done two-thirds of the Pacific Coast Trail with those same bottles. The other thing is, the reason I carry an algae bottle is it's the only bottle you can put boiling water into. And so in the mornings, if you want to eat lunch, you put the boiling water in, you put your top ramen in it, tighten it up, and then you've got that be a little cold later. Or at night, you can take the Nalgene bottle and fill it full of boiling water, tighten it up, put it in the bottom of your sleeping bag, and have warm feet. And of course, you're always good for some trail wisdom, except we want Steve's version of trail wisdom, which is a little bit of humor. <laughs> What's your latest joke? Do you know where you get dragon milk from? Where do you get dragon milk from? A cow with short legs. <laughs> All right, that'll inspire everyone. There yeah. we go. There's some you asked for it. <laughs> There's some trailism for you. Well, thank you so much, Steve, for joining us today. We really appreciate you sharing your story, sharing your wisdom, sharing your humor and your insights. It's so valuable to our listeners, and uh, hopefully, it'll inspire someone to. To what? <laughs> to get to out. hike, to backpack, <laughs> to get outside. Even if you're just doing a day hike, go for it. Yeah, and don't let your age stop you. <laughs> if you think you're too young or you're too old or you think, well, I'm in college, I don't have any money, or I'm in my 30s and I've got kids running around in a career and I don't have any time, there's an excuse for every age. But at any age, we can get out and go backpacking. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. If you want to check out some cool backpacking books and merch, go to thefirst40miles.com slash shop. We'll see you next time on The First 40 Miles.